0: Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Amen. Amen. So glad to see you today. And uh, before I get started, I just want to clear something up. There was some concern that I was not going to be able to have perfect attendance at church because we weren't here last week. But I want you to know we still have perfect attendance at church. We were just visiting another church that uh, back in Georgia and as we were visiting our kids and celebrating our grandbaby's first birthday. So uh, I, still have a, I still have perfect attendance. Hopefully you do too. Um, but... Hey, so we, we started a couple weeks ago in a series called Habits, and we talked about this idea that was summarized in a whole talk. It could have been a lot shorter, but it was, and I used a whole lot more words to say this. Everything that you do, if you're going to form a habit, it's who before, what's the next word? Who remembers? Do. Who before do. It's like you need to base what you do based off of who you are in Christ. That way, if if you then are going to decide something that you're going to do, a habit that you're going to add into your life or take away from your life, you need to establish who it is that God wants you to be and what it is that God wants you to do. And then you form habits around those things. And I'm so glad that Chris came in and spoke for me last week because he talked about how to make prayer a habit. And Prayer is one of those things, if we're not connected with God through this process, then it's just, this is all self-help, and it's all worthless. So this is, it is key, and I'm so glad that he brought that message. It's key that we stay connected to God through these things, because the spiritual life is indeed a spiritual walk, and it's a walk all through our life, and we need God's help. Amen? And here's something that we believe before we get into a very practical message today about how to stop some bad habits, how to stop some bad habits. First, I want us to start here and just reinforces what it is that we believe as Christians. And again, just to prove to you that this isn't just some self-help measure, that now I just get to form habits, and it's all about me, and if I just, you know, I could just take care of my life, and I just exert whatever willpower I have, it's so much greater than that, and we don't have near amount of strength that we think that we do. So, the Word of God says this in 1 John 4, starting in verse 13. And it encapsulates this idea. This is what it says. We know that we live in him and that he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Everybody who's in Christ, say amen to that. This is the point. You see, for us, we can form habits. But if we form habits and we just leave God out, we're going to be in the exact same place that we started. And we're not going to be able to live the fulfilled and abundant life that Jesus died to give us. Which makes me ask this question. Are you living the life Jesus died to give you? Are you really living the life that Jesus died to give you? Are you? Some of us maybe, and then some of us probably not, and then some of us say absolutely. But are you living the life that Jesus died to give you? If your answer is no, or if you're a little bit wishy-washy on that, here's the thing. I guarantee you there are some habits in your life that need to change for you to be where it is that God is taking you. You see, the spiritual life is an incredible journey with God, but yet it is with God and we make choices based upon our walk with God. We obey God and we follow his commands one by one as we live our life. Here's the thing that I'm absolutely sure of. When we start our lives and we're maybe teenagers, I would say a normal, a healthy family life, and there are some examples of this where it's not true, but a normal, happy family. Uh, family life, when you're teenagers, you set out and you create big goals, big goals for your life. And, and sometimes we have such big goals and aspirations of all these things that we're going to accomplish and places we're going to see and how life is going to look. And, and have we found out that life doesn't always turn out that way? Has anyone else found that out other than just me? It just doesn't always turn out the exact same way. But yet with God, it actually turns out better. With God, it turns out better. And yet In the midst of all of those dreams and hopes and aspirations, what I know to be true is this. No one sets out to live paycheck to paycheck. No one when they're 13 says, you know what? I just hope that I get to worry about money for the rest of my life. If I could just worry about money every day, if I could just be staring at my checking account, just waiting for my, my check to drop in my, in my account, this would be awesome. Nobody sets out in their life as they're creating these plans to even stress over money. No one, you know, no one sets kind of a drastic example, but it's so true. And it's true of Christians probably more so than it is the world. Nobody sets out to be morbidly obese and of poor health and to die at 50. No one, no one is thinking of that when they're 13. And yet that's what happens so many times in people's lives. It's, they, they don't set out that way, but yet they become overweight over time. And then those things, we have health complications that lead to that. No one, when they're dreaming of their life and they're 13, 14, 15, 16, that they just dream of being addicted. And to, be, and to have a life that's out of control. No one dreams of that. As a matter of fact, most of us, when we're 13, we think that's probably somebody else's story, but that certainly couldn't be our story. But it becomes some people's story. Nobody is dreaming, you know, when they, they first get married. They, they're not dreaming and they're, they're setting their life for what they think their life is going to be like in family. But what they're not dreaming for is, I just can't wait till this marriage ends. I just can't wait a year after this marriage ends and we make all, the, we make all of the little cliche statements say it's going to be okay, the kids are going to be okay. Nobody dreams that a year later that your kids aren't talking to you and they're only talking to your ex. No one's dreaming of that. No one sets that, that plan in motion. That happens to some people, but yet no one sets that plan in motion. Why is it that we get in these places? The reason why I believe is this. Because we rarely end up at the wrong place because of one bad decision. We rarely end up in the wrong place because of one bad decision. Rarely. Most of the time it's, it's something a little more than that. It's, it's one bad decision that is compounded with another bad decision and then another bad decision. And then slowly the fade happens and you start becoming the person you never thought you'd become. And your life story can become the very life story that you never dreamt that it would become. Of course, these are drastic examples. I have a kind of a silly example that's not nearly as drastic as those. Several years ago, a friend of mine decided friend of mine, and I decided that we were going to go on this hike, and it was going to be a short hike, and the weather was great. We got started a little bit later in the day, but this hike wasn't going to be that long. We thought we could get in, get the view, right, because the payoff was the view at the end of the hike, and then we we thought, well, we could just get in, and we could get out before the sun went down, and it was no big deal until we got to the end, and we're looking at this view, and we're like, man, that, that was really fast. I I wouldn't mind staying out here a little bit longer. And then we looked over to our right, and we saw a trail. And as we saw the the trail connected off of the big trail, the trail, at first, we, we made a decision to start to take a step on this side trail thinking, well, this trail is surely going to lead us where we need to be, and then we start following that trail. And then, eventually, as we're now minutes in the wrong direction and we're away from the regular trail and away from where it was we started, now we're just navigating this trail, and the trail becomes smaller and smaller and smaller until it just becomes not evident at all and disappears. And now we're we're walking along this trail, and now we're we've made all of these steps. Outside of the trail where we started, and now we are, are what smart people call lost. That's what smart people call this. Now we're lost, and we we don't know how to get out. And we're both grown men. We're both veterans. We're both no better, and yet we're completely lost. So we just continue on in a direction without a compass, not having any clue, without having water, you know, because we're smart, and, and no food because we're smart. And, and, and there was no map there either because it was just one simple trail. But we didn't follow it because we're not smart, right? So we just ventured all off of that. And then we're, we're off in the woods, and, and it's not a big deal at first. And then we find a creek, and we, we thought, oh, I remember this creek was like further up, up the trail. So maybe this is the creek. And we start following this creek, and then eventually it actually dries up the top of the hill, and now we're officially lost times two because we have no idea where we are. We set out in one direction, not on the trail, and there was no one else around there, and we were actually lost for hours, and we ended up getting out of the woods, and we were miles away from where we originally started, eventually found the road, and then walked back, but I tell you that whole story because of this. It all started with one step in the wrong direction, but then we made a bunch of steps in the wrong direction. It wasn't just the initial step, because we could have made one step, but we could have thought, you know what, smart people wouldn't do this. But we didn't. We thought, we're grown men. We can go hiking. This is no big deal. We've done this before. And we made a bunch of decisions, and we took a bunch of steps in the wrong direction. That is the reason why people get to the place that they get to, is because of not just usually one decision, usually it's Multiple decisions, multiple steps in the wrong direction. An example of this is going to be so clear. In Judges 13, we're going to just take a snapshot. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but in Numbers 13... We're gonna jump into the story, the beginning of a story of a guy by the name of Samson. Some of you read your Bible, you're like, know all about it. You're like, you know Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. Like, you know the whole story. You know about the hair, the, the locks. You know about all the stuff, all the craziness that happens in his life. We're not gonna talk all about it, but we're gonna first highlight his call from God. And then we're just gonna highlight one verse beyond this. And you see, this one verse illustrates the point about we end up in the wrong place because of several bad decisions or bad steps. So in Judges 13, I'll flip there. I've been too busy talking. Pretty sure it's in the Old Testament, though, right? Is that pretty sure? Positive it is, yeah. There it is. Okay, good. Here we go. Judges 13, verses 1 through 8. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man named Zora, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you're going to conceive and have a son. This is absolutely a miracle that is about to ensue. Verse 4. Now see to it that you drink no wine and other fermented drink and you do not have anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart from God from birth. And he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the, the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome, she says. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then, drink no wine and other fermented drink, and do, do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. So, Samson is his name. His whole story is birthed in a miracle, no pun intended. His mom can't have children. She's sterile and childless. Most likely given up even having kids because, you know, she's hadn't been able to have kids in the past. And now, God sends a messenger and saying, you are going to have a child. And this child from birth, from birth to death, is going to be set apart. This is his calling from God. He's going to be set apart as a Nazarite of God. Very few people in the scriptures are, are listed as be, of having a lifestyle that is, is a Nazarite. So it's somebody who's set apart for God's purposes in a very distinct way. You would think... This would be so compelling that someone like Samson would be able to just know, hey, wow, this is God's plan for me, and everything's going to be awesome. And, 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 you know, and even the Scripture said it was awesome. So it's like everything's going to be great. And you would think that his storyline would just roll out perfectly. But you see, Samson had a problem. He had a problem to where... He, he didn't always remember who he was in Christ or in God at the time. He didn't always remember that. Instead, he, he operated on some of his fleshly desires. And this is the example from Judges 16.1. Notice what it says in the Word of God. Verse 1, chapter 16. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. You may look at this and say, well, pastor, that's okay. That's obviously bad. Okay, it's obviously bad. But what does this really have to do with with everything else? Well, what this has to do with everything else is Samson struggled to obey God. He was was hot-tempered. He struggled with lust, and this is an example of that. But as we drill into the details here, Samson's hometown was... Zora, we read that together in judges 13 verse two. Samson's hometown was a place called Zora, and where Samson went into Gaza, which is a familiar term still use that term today, in that, that region, in Israel, Gaza is 25 miles from Zora. So I'm going to break this down a little bit further. 25 miles is approximately 56,250 steps. So when you read this, it reads like, oh man, just in a moment, he, moment of weakness, he just he fell to lust again, and that was his struggle. You can read it all over those chapters I told you a couple minutes ago. Like, you just read that and be like, oh, this is, that's just Samson. No, no, no. He, with every step, The 56,250 steps was moving away from God's calling, separating himself from what God had for him. He was to be the one who would deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. And with every one of those 56,250 steps, he was moving away from God. Every one of those steps mattered. Every one of those decisions mattered. So it is also true with us and our habits. Because the habits you have today will shape who you will become tomorrow. The habits that you have today will shape who you will become tomorrow. As Samson left Zora and went to Gaza, he was casting a vote for the type of person he would become 56,250 steps and votes as he's walking away from God, we do the same thing with our habits. Because the habits that you have today and that I have today, this isn't just for you, it's for both of us, all of us, they shape who you will become tomorrow. The habits that we have, good or bad, are not indifferent to the rest of your life. Instead, the habits that we have, good or bad, shape the rest of our life. So based upon who you want to become, what habit do you need to break? Based upon who you want to become, what habit do you want to break? You had to have been thinking about that if you've been listening to these messages because I teased it out in the first week of the Who Before Do. And I just threw out suggestions, ideas, really. I did just a few moments ago. I know Chris brought about some last week. But based upon who you want to become, what habit do you need to break? Is there a habit that you have that puts you in a cycle that you can't get out of? A couple scriptures. Help us in this regard. James 1 verse 21 from the Good News Translation says this. So get rid of every filthy habit and all wicked conduct. Submit to God and accept the word that he plants in your hearts. Which is able to save you. So get rid of every filthy habit. So the same one that you're wanting to get rid of, God has already told you you need to. He says get rid of every filthy habit. Another translation says this get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Here's the thing about habits good habits and, and bad habits, they're lived out in two different ways. Good habits usually start more difficult, and the payoff is delayed. Good habits, again, I'll say it. Good habits are often more difficult, but yet the journey and the payoff is usually better in the future. So an example would be this. You decide that your habit is going to be to become more physically fit and you're going to walk or you're going to run in the morning. There's going to be a threshold. You may make this decision, like, I'm going to do this, and this is going to be a habit that I'm going to have going into the future. That's awesome. That's a good habit. And yet, you know, it's, maybe it's cold out. Maybe it's snowing. Maybe it's your blanket's really warm. And, and maybe you just want to enjoy your coffee a little bit longer. Or maybe you just slept in because you stayed up too late the night before. All of these are real possibilities. All of those things create obstacles for us reinforcing those good habits. But if you walk or run, you may not see the immediate result that day or two days or even a week later. But I can guarantee you after six or nine months of having that good habit, you're going to see the benefits that you're after. Bad habits are the exact opposite. Usually, it's an immediate perceived payoff. And the negative effects come later. So if you wanted to like break a habit, you know, usually bad habits are you get the payoff right now. Immediate gratification, that's the term. Immediate gratification. I don't have to wait. I can get it right now. I can buy it right now. I can take it right now. I can... I can swipe right now. I can do whatever right now. And you get that, that immediate gratification. And yet the drastic effect is, is delayed a bit. So we think that those bad decisions, those bad habits, we think that they don't affect us because they're delayed. But yet we can look at Samson's life and all of those 56,250 steps from Zora to Gaza and say he had a lot of decisions that he could make and yet he was going in the wrong direction and at any point he could have stopped and gone back home. So he was, in essence, putting himself in that situation to meet that need. Well, how can we break bad habits? We can break bad habits, first of all, if you're a note taker, by asking yourself some things, asking yourself some things. One of the things that we can ask ourselves, I believe, is am I, am I morally licensing this behavior? Here's what I mean. Am I, am I saying that it's okay for me to do this behavior because I've done a past deed well? Here's an example. Very tangible example. Somebody may say, you know what? I I walked or I ran this morning. It's just it's easy, right? It's, this is low hanging fruit. I walked or I ran this morning, so it's okay that I have a bowl of ice cream in the afternoon. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I did that. It's okay. Or, or here, here's a really good one. You know what? I know that I need, to be, I, need, I need to create some healthier habits and say it's a Saturday morning, right? Saturday morning. And you're like, I, I need to do this. I, I'm, I'm committing to do this, but I'm going to wait until Monday. I'm going to wait until Monday. And, uh, you know, and I'm just going to enjoy the weekend. And then on Monday, then I'm going to double down. I'm going to commit to this thing. This is us morally licensing some behavior. We, We also do this financially. We say, you know what? I work really hard, so I deserve to have that thing. And maybe we're overspending to have that thing. Well, I work really hard. I deserve, I deserve is often the term that forms a morally licensed behavior. Well, I deserve. And we even excuse other people and say, well, well, you, you know what? You work really hard. You deserve that. So we allow other people to have morally licensed behavior, even for bad habits. You see, there's sometimes that that's okay to say, but yet if we're allowing somebody else to give us permission to have a bad habit or something that takes us away from who it is that God wants us to be, we ought not to listen to them. Should we? So a question you ask yourself, am I morally licensing this behavior? You're allowing yourself to just continue to do it. And plainly, it's just doing something bad because you've done something good. You're doing something bad because you've done something good. Another thing you could ask yourself is, is this? Is this a, a type of forbidden fruit in my life? There's some study that was based off of a quote from the 1800s, and it was developed, I think, in the 50s. And it was, it was just this syndrome of sorts. It's called the forbidden fruit syndrome. It really has nothing to do with the Bible other than the, the forbidden fruit and being common language around Christian circles. But it's the idea of this, that you have something in your mind and you want to get that thing out of your mind, so you tell yourself, stop thinking about it, stop thinking about it, and stop thinking about it. But what happens? You think about it more and more and more. And then maybe it was a little shallow in your mind, and then, you just, and then it just becomes the thing you obsess over. This is the reason why that biblical meditation and prayer is so important to have in your life. Because if it's just about you trying to just ask yourself, okay, uh, if, if you ask yourself, is this just a forbidden fruit for me? In other words, you're in a cycle that you can't get out of, and it's something that's dwelling in your mind. You, if you ask yourself, and the answer is yes, this becomes so vital for you to engage with God in prayer and also biblical meditation. Because biblical meditation gives you an opportunity spiritually to take the word of God to replace the thing that you're trying to have eliminated from your mind. Because you will not be able to just take one thing out of your mind without also replacing it with something positive. It's just the way your mind works. I'm going to talk about that more in a couple weeks. But is this a, a, a forbidden fruit? In other words, it's the first indicator. I can't control it because it just lingers in my mind. I'm just obsessed with it. I know I shouldn't, but the more I, I think about not doing it, the more I do it because I can't get it out of my mind. This should be a great indicator for you and I that it is, there is a power far greater than us that is operating within us, and we need the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God to cleanse us, to set our hearts right. Instant gratification is an interesting thing because studies show this, that instant gratification a lot of times it actually can be eliminated if we will just wait. As a matter of fact, when it can't, when we get to instant gratification, studies show if we actually wait 10 minutes, it drastically eliminates the chances of us doing the things that we should be avoiding. If we just wait 10 minutes. If we just wait. If, if we just Plan ahead that, hey, I'm going to be tempted in this area. I'm going to be tempted to have this bad habit that I want to be eliminated from my life. I'm, I'm going to plan this. I'm going to plan, and I'm going to pause. Think plan, and I'm going to pause. I'm going to plan that when this thought comes into my mind, so I'm, I'm tempted to do something that I don't want do, to do, that I'm going to not do that thing, and I'm going to wait 10 minutes before I do anything. And at, the, at that time, that would be a great opportunity for you to pray. But I'm not going to do it. I'm not just going to jump on it just because it feels right or because it seems right or because I've always done it. I'm going to wait at least 10 minutes and I'm going to get connected with God and I'm going to pray to God and I'm going to ask him to help me in that situation. But when you plan, it also gives you an opportunity to prepare for what's going to happen when you're in the middle of temptations and things that, habits that you want to avoid. Also, the second thing that I would add into that is this. You need to acknowledge it. You need to acknowledge it. It is a bigger deal than what you think it is. You need to acknowledge it. Maybe you need to acknowledge it by by journaling and writing your prayers out to God, not to just let them be fleeting prayers, but maybe you need to take time where you need to journal your prayers to God and you need to acknowledge it. God, I'm struggling with this. It reinforces who you are and also gives you an opportunity of what to do to stop that habit that you're wanting to to eliminate from your life. So acknowledge it. Acknowledge it to God. And when you acknowledge it to God in that way, you're also acknowledging it to yourself. And I would say this. One of the best things you can do is you can you can then share that information and the habit that you're trying to break with a brother or sister in Christ who you know is maturing. Maturing. And acknowledge it to them also because you will need their support to continue to have that habit removed from your life. You can't defeat what you can't define. You can't defeat what you can't define. If it's an attitude and us men we, uh, who are participating in the men's Bible study, we've been, we jumped right into talking about attitudes and complaining and grumbling and had some conversations even this morning about that. So we, we're, we're digging into this. But for those of you who aren't, you can't defeat what you can't define. You see, maybe what you need to acknowledge is this. It's an attitude problem, that you have a critical spirit, one of complaining and gossiping, has to do with words that come out of your mouth. And maybe it's defining that I overeat or I eat sweets or my habit is I have snacks late at night or, or I just I don't see food as fuel for my body. Instead, I only use food as comfort for my body. No wonder I'm in the situation that I'm in. You're, you cannot defeat what you can't define. You have to acknowledge whatever it is, that it is that God is reminding you and telling you by his grace that may be the challenge for you. Maybe it's a digital problem, not not just an attitude thing. Maybe it's a digital addiction, something that you need to stop. It's a bad habit and it's addiction and, and it's video games and you're just stuck in front of that and maybe it's not video games, maybe it's your phone and maybe you're addicted to looking at your phone and watching videos on YouTube and watching videos and you're so connected to Reels and you love Snapchat and you love all those things and you're looking at the shorts and you're just so connected to it, but maybe what it is for you is you are actually addicted to your device. Could that be true? Statistically, it is true. Definitely of some of you. This also, in the digital side, this could be some other corrosive habits of people binge-watching things on television. And you just don't have energy to do anything else. So the only energy you exert is sitting in front of a television, which then takes your time, it takes your energy, and it's put you in a bad cycle. In a digital realm, it also could be pornography. And, the, and maybe the, the habit that you have is, is a porn habit. And there's no good porn habit. There's no good reason to use pornography or to see people exploited in that way. There's no good option for that. So maybe for you, it's, it's saying, yes, this is a problem. And maybe it's a digital problem like that. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's sugar. You're addicted to sugar. Maybe it's nicotine. Maybe it's prescription drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. And maybe it's a hundred other things. What I'm trying to do is not to tell you exactly what it is for you. The Spirit of God will reveal that to you. I'm just kind of throwing out some categories, common categories that people struggle with and that they have a lot of bad habits formed around those categories. Third thing that I think we need to do is we need to frame it. This one's pretty simple. We need to frame that behavior, that habit, against our long-term goals. We need to frame that habit against our long-term goals. I wonder if, if Samson would have done this, I wonder what would have been different about his life. I wonder if Samson wasn't operating under lust to then visiting that prostitute and walking those 25 miles and, and you know 56,250 steps. I wonder if anywhere in that journey, he would have actually listened to God and been reminded of his calling from God, that he was to be the one, the one judge in that time was, who was to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines, that he was the one. I wonder if anywhere in that journey, he would have had awareness of the Spirit of God, and he would have stopped in his tracks, and he would have looked at that, that, that immediate payoff and compared that to the long-term person he would become. I wonder if his life would be different. I also wonder if yours would be, too. If you were to take that bad habit and you were just to to frame up that habit in such a way where you frame it against, not with, but against your individual calling from God and also against the long-term goals that you have for your life. Frame that choice maybe against your greatest potential future. Maybe you don't have goals where you're, you're not so goal-oriented, and you maybe even struggle with that. And maybe for you it isn't like a specific goal. You need to frame that against these habits. Instead, you need to frame that choice, the choice to operate and have that habit, against your greatest potential future. It's a little bit more vague, and some, pi- and some people need that help. The fourth one is, is very practical as well. It's make it difficult to do. It's make it difficult to do. Like, I'm, I'm so on this journey with you, with things, just so you know. Like, yesterday, in our kitchen, we had a leftover bag of chips that had been sitting there. It had been sitting there for a minute. It was actually there before our trip, honestly. I know, because I left it there. So, it was me. And it was sitting there. And in are chips that I like. I don't, I don't really eat chips, but there's a couple different ty- types of chips that I like. And this is one of the bags of chips that I like. So, as... I, I walked by a hundred times and didn't pay any attention to it. It's kind of a landing area on our counter where things land, so we just tend to ignore it at times. But yet I saw it yesterday, and, I, and I, I looked at the bag of chips, and I talked to Marla, and I said, can we throw this away? She's like, yeah. Like, she was smart. She's like, yeah. Like, I was a dumb one. I was like, I should have done this a long time ago. And, and yet, you see, if, we're, if I wanted to avoid chips... Nothing wrong with chips, right, in, in moderation. But if I wanted to have chips, the best thing for me to do is not to have them sitting on the counter all day. Is it? Like if you want to avoid chocolate, the best thing to do wouldn't be to go to Walmart after this and buy some of those mini candy bars and just randomly set them around your house, would it? <laughs> you have some willpower, but it ain't that strong, okay? It ain't. <laughs> like you're going to have a moment of weakness, and, and then you're going to falter, and then it's going to be, you know, you throwing down some of that chocolate, most likely. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15 says this. Keep off the path of the wicked. Don't proceed on the way of evil ones. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Walk away from it and pass by it. It's pretty clear, isn't it? It's Like if there's something there that, that that's... It's a habit or something that we're participating in that is not in alignment with who it is God wants us to become and who it is that we want to become. We shouldn't proceed on that path, should we? We should avoid it at all costs. We shouldn't travel on it at all. We should turn away from it, and we should pass by it, allow it to just pass by us without participating in it. There's a few things that will help us, and I'll wind the talk down with this. There's this graphic that I want to show you. It's a habit loop. It's a simplistic version, and there's a lot of different examples of this, but this is a, a very simplistic version of, of a point that I would like to get across. When we have a habit, a bad habit, a good habit, it's the same thing. It can work you know, in, in reverse of this, but talking about bad habits today, the things we want to stop, there's a trigger, there's an action, and then there's a reward. There's a trigger, something that, as what you would know, a trigger, it sets the things in motion. There's the action, the thing that, that we're about, that we, that we actually are participating in. This is the bad habit. And the reward is a lot of times psychologically the little hit of dopamine in our, in our brain that makes us feel good about the decision we made. In the short term, it feels good. In the long term, it does not feel good. There's a trigger, there's an action, and there's a reward. The five major triggers, because if we're going to stop a bad habit, we need to understand what our triggers are. The first of the five major triggers is this. Oftentimes, it becomes about a place. It's a place. It's about a place. So some folks need to avoid the smoking area. You need to avoid the person who you conveniently get the things that you put in your body. And maybe it's a, it's a habit, it's an addiction, and you need to actually walk away from that person and the place where you meet. I found that people don't overeat at the gym. They just don't. And people don't get high at church. Spiritually, different story. Physically, not so much, right? They don't because the place matters. Because the place matters. The second thing is this, the time. Oftentimes, it's, it's the time of day it becomes the trigger for us. Late at night, bored and alone is a recipe for bad habits. Late at night, bored and alone is a recipe for bad habits. Third is mood. Some things about mood that I would share is this angry, hungry, lonely, and tired are four of the biggest mood predictors in your life. Angry, hungry, lonely, and tired. And many times we feed bad habits based upon those four things. Something to add to that is this. Once you create a plan of what you're going to do and a habit you're going to stop and create some good habits, follow your plan, not your mood. You will rarely in the moment feel like making the good choice. So follow your plan, not your mood. Because your mood is going to tell you early morning it's cold, the bed is comfortable, and the blanket is warm, and it's nasty outside, and it's going to give you a million reasons why you ought not to have that good habit. And yet for us, we need to follow our plan, not our mood. Fourth, it's the moment. The trigger for some of us is the moment. Maybe we just got into just got into an argument with our spouse. Maybe it's the moment after work on Friday night where all the guys go to the bar. So it's that moment after work at the bar that leads you to some bad decisions. Or maybe for you, you do bad on a test or something happens, you get a bad evaluation at work. So then you compensate for feeling bad with something that temporarily would make you, maybe make you feel good. The fifth is this people. The fifth would be people. I found this statistic interesting. Talking about the chance of someone becoming obese, the chance of someone becoming more obese is increased by 57% if they have friends who are obese. It's increased by 57%. That's how we affect other people. But on the other side of that, if one friend loses weight, other friends lose weight a third of the time. Scripture that coincides with this is Proverbs 25:19 Trusting an unreliable person in a difficult time is like a rotten tooth or a faltering foot. Anyone who has rolled their ankle or who watched the game with Patrick Mahomes yesterday understands the difficulty of being able to live in this way. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I'll conclude with this. Remove the trigger, and you interrupt the action. If you remove the trigger, you interrupt the action, and then you can stop bad habits. Sounds very simple, but you can do it with God's help, with your commitment, and in a community around you. Would you stand? Father God, I, we just come to you today, and, and Lord, we are powerless in and of ourselves to be fixed, to be made right, to make the right decision all the time. Sure, we may get it right every once in a while, but God, we all have a limited amount of willpower, So Spirit of God, we rely upon you who provides limitless power. And Lord, I know that some of these habits may be so small in some people's lives and they could be so huge in other people's lives. But Lord, if it matters to us, I believe it also matters to you. So Jesus, help us in this moment. Help us to give up the the burdens and the concerns and the cares, but help us in this moment, if we need to, to be able to repent of those bad habits and just acknowledge it, to say, okay, God, I'm I'm giving it to you. I'm going to form good habits. I'm going to get rid of these bad ones, but God, I need your help. By faith, Lord, the altars are open. We're available to you. Do what only you can do.